The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at Adulting.TV. and welcome to this episode of Adulting. I am Miranda Marquit, and I am here with Harlan Landis, as always. How are you doing today, Harlan? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing pretty well. And we are joined today by a guest, Teresa Mears from Living on the Cheap. Teresa is going to talk to us about her travel around the world. How are you doing today, Teresa? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. So let's go ahead and get started. First of all, you took a trip around the world. When did this happen? Well, this was my, grew out of my turning 30 crisis. As I was approaching 30 and I realized I had some money in the bank and was getting a big tax refund, I was concerned that while I had envisioned myself living a life of adventure, I hadn't really been anywhere beyond one trip to Italy and one trip to Paris. And when I realized I had enough money to take a year off work, I started to think about what to do. And I started off thinking, well, I could do six months in a French-speaking country and learn French and six months in a Spanish-speaking country and learn Spanish. But as I realized all the places I'd never been and all the things I had never seen, I decided to make it a trip around the world that would last a year. You said something really interesting. You saved up money to take a year off of work by the time you were 30. How did you do that? And I know that's a little off topic for today, but I think that's really interesting. It was actually easier than you might have thought. I was working at the time at the Miami Herald. And when I first took the job at Miami Herald, I had them take $100 a week out of my paycheck and put it in a savings account. And then I didn't really pay any attention to it because I didn't ever see it. There was $5,000 there. I guess I wasn't managing my withholding very carefully so that I was getting a $4,000 income tax refund. And when you added five and four, you got nine. And if you were to get another $4,000 income tax refund the next year, that was 13. This was 1988, and that was enough to take a year off work and take a very frugal trip around the world. Where did you go in this trip around the world? I actually bought an around-the-world airline ticket, although I supplemented that with trains, buses, and a few boats. But I started in Ireland. I went then from Ireland, spent a few days in London. Then I went to Spain, where I spent a month in Spanish school in Salamanca, and then traveled around Spain for a second month because I was trying to learn Spanish. I didn't go to France because I had been to Paris once before. Then I went to Germany and visited one of my Spanish school classmates, and I went to Sweden and visited another classmate, to Norway, Denmark, and it was pretty cold up in Scandinavia, so I went down to Italy. I went to Poland while it was still communist. I went on a five-day trip to St. Petersburg, Russia, went to Berlin, both east and west, then to Turkey, Thailand, Hong Kong, China, which is probably the most exotic place I went, Australia, New Zealand, and then I stopped in Hawaii and Los Angeles on the way to Kansas City, which was where my parents and siblings were. Now, you talked about an around-the-world airline ticket. Is that a thing still? Is that something you can still do? Like, what do you just buy one ticket? Like, is it like a voucher that you can use? Or how does that work? When I did it, and I don't think it's changed a lot, no one airline goes all the way around the world. So the airlines would form sort of a consortium. So my ticket was Pan Am, Cafe Pacific, and United. You could choose any destination that those three airlines went, as long as you kept going in the same direction. You paid a flat price for it. 
I want to say it was $3,000, but I honestly don't remember. You had to say when you were going, when you were leaving your home and going to your first place. But after that, it was like a voucher. And then it was a stack of little pieces of paper. When you were ready to take the next leg, you called and made a reservation or just showed up. And if they had a space, they took you. I believe you can still get an around the world airline ticket. And you can also put together various kinds of packages. But whether it works exactly the same way, I don't know. Yeah. And I was I was just kind of looking into this a little bit and it looks like you can and they cost about three to five thousand dollars. You get a whole year to do this. This is kind of neat. And it looks like you can even use airline miles to help you purchase this ticket. So Well, I did this was in the early days of airline miles and I actually got enough airline miles on this trip to get another free trip to Europe and a free trip to the Middle East out of it. Now I know what to do with my miles that I've accumulated and haven't used. I think this is fantastic, especially that it's still available and still affordable, even more affordable than it would have been, you know, 30 years ago. This is fantastic. You mentioned that there were a few cities where you had friends. How did that help you? Or do you prefer to kind of explore on your own when you visit these cities for the first time? No, I actually think having friends was a great thing to do. And if I had done this in the age of the Internet... I would have been able to find many more friends in many more places. But I visited people. A friend of a friend was the U.S. ambassador or worked for the U.S. embassy in in Ireland. And I went and had coffee with him. And somebody I knew, I was working in international news at the Miami Herald at the time. So I went to visit our our foreign correspondent in China. And he and his wife helped me out a lot and took me to some places. I visited some freelance foreign correspondents in Berlin. I visited my Spanish school classmates in Germany and Sweden. And experience, one, it's very lonely traveling by yourself for nine months, which is how long I turned out to be on the road. But two, they give you a whole different look at the place. Yeah, and I think that's a huge deal. My son and I are going to take a Viking River cruise up the Danube from Budapest to Passau in Germany. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is I have an online friend who I've known for several years online, but we've never met in person. And he's lived in Budapest for uh, three or four years. And so we're planning on meeting up and he's going to give us like the real tour <laughs> of Budapest. Oh, yes, that's a, that's, a, that's a great thing to do. He's going to help us see some things that we may not see if we did like touristy things or, you know, stuck to pre-made tours that they provide for you as part of this cruise package, which, you know, I think is interesting. And the other thing too, as we're going up is we'll be stopping in some of the places that I stayed in while I was an exchange student in Austria. And there are a couple times there where I'm going to, instead of taking the tour provided by the cruise company, actually meet with some of my old contacts from back when I was an exchange student and see some of the things that aren't really available on that tour that I know about. So having that insider knowledge can make travel that much more interesting and enriching, I think. Oh, absolutely. Over the years, I have met many people in person that I initially met online. Most of those encounters took place in the United States, but I'm still friends with people I met online in the days of the CompuServe Journalism Forum back in the, I think I first got on there in 1993. Yeah, and that's really cool the way that the internet and how international travel is easier than ever, that you can kind of keep up those connections and make all of these trips a little more meaningful as you go along. How did the trip around the world change your approach to travel afterwards? I learned a lot about travel. Before I had done this, I was kind of a conventional traveler. 
You're basically, you take a suitcase, you stay in a hotel. You know, I had not camped except once. I didn't backpack. And the year before I took this trip, I spent all of my spare time reading, which was books back in that time. And I read Rick Steves' book. He has one about Asia, Europe through the back door and Asia through the back door, kind of about closer to the ground travel. So I learned about, um, I actually, when I came back, wrote an article about staying in places for $10 a night in Spain. And one of the readers wrote a letter to the Herald saying basically that she didn't believe me. So I had kept a list and I wrote that list. These are the places I stayed. But I learned a lot about in Europe, there are single rooms. And if you're a single person, you don't have to pay as much for a room as if you're a couple. It's a small room, but you know it only needs to be a small room. I learned about bathrooms down the hall. I learned they had a fabulous network of hostels in New Zealand where people of all ages stayed. They were not called youth hostels. And I learned certainly a lot about traveling closer to the ground and for much less money. And I also learned about traveling with much less stuff. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me was when I was traveling in Europe as an exchange student was how many people just use the trains and how comfortable and fast they are and uh, how inexpensive. And and like you said, it's closer to the ground. You can see more of the countryside. You can get a better feel for what's going on. And you really kind of feel more of a connection than if you're just flying over everything all the time. It was a great learning experience for travel. I did quite a bit of travel in the years after that. And the techniques I learned made it possible for me to travel on the amount of money I made and see a lot of interesting places. It sounds like there are ways to travel for a smaller amount than you would expect. What are some of the ways that you can reduce the amount of money and how much should you expect to take with you? And how do you take that money with you? Because, you know, currency changes, you know, do you still use traveler's check or do you take currency and just change it wherever you go? Well, I think it depends on where you're going. And I'm going to have to say that my knowledge is a little bit old. I haven't done a lot of international travel in recent years. While I have, I've mostly taken credit cards. And you basically take your credit card, you put it in the equivalent of an ATM, and you get money out in whatever currency you'd like to have it in. You can also charge things on your credit card, and they do the currency conversion for you. I did take traveler's checks during this trip around the world, but I don't think I have seen a traveler's check really since then. Credit cards have pretty much over, overtaken that. Yeah, and if you can get a credit card that doesn't charge a foreign transaction fee, then it's great. That's right. That's even better, and that's a good thing to check on before you go. If you, none of your cards meet that, you just get a new card that does. But sometimes you do need to actually have some of the currency because not every place, especially if you go off the beaten path a little bit, they may not take credit card. You may actually need cash. During this trip, I lived mostly with cash. Right. I would go to, usually at the train station, I didn't do a lot of shopping around for the best exchange rate. I would, con, you know, convert money at the train station or the American Express office or, you know, a bank, get out 100 or $200 worth of cash at a time. And that would usually, you know, depending on what the expenses were and how long I was going to be in the country. And I, I dealt, did, dealt almost exclusively in cash. But again, this was 1988. So there are probably a few more places to take credit cards than did then. So you mentioned also how this trip around the world changed the way you view how much luggage and how much stuff you need to take with you. What's a great way to prepare for extended travel? I think you have to realize that you cannot look glamorous all the time. And hey, if you're 30, you look pretty good anyway. I realize now in retrospect. I started out with, this was in the days before rolling suitcases. So I started out with a luggage cart, a 
suitcase that folded, a canvas suitcase that folded into a backpack, which was great. I used that for 20 years and now my niece has it. And a camera bag because I carried a big camera with lenses on the trip. In Spain, I abandoned half my clothes and the rolling luggage cart, which was pretty much useless with cobblestones, steps, getting on and off trains and just use the suitcase as a backpack all the time, except for the few times I went into a nice hotel or when I was on an airplane. And I had, I had, did have to have to buy some clothes along the way, but I basically had a pair of jeans and jeans are not good for traveling because they're heavy and hard to wash. So you're better off with other kinds of pants, a pair of cotton pants, cotton slacks, a white t-shirt, short, short sleeve t-shirt, a black short sleeve t-shirt, a long cotton shirt to go over them that could be either a long sleeve shirt or a sweater, a raincoat with a lining, and you know a selection of under undergarments, and that was about it. I bought a dress in London, and then my luggage got lost in Denmark, and after two days they hadn't found it yet, and I had to go out and buy an outfit which was really expensive by U.S. clothing cost standards, and then they found my luggage. And then when I got to Australia and it was summer and it was very casual, I think I bought a pair of shorts and I lost weight during this trip with all the walking. So at some point I bought a, a new pair of pants. So I'm glad you brought up buying things. I was going to ask what you have to do in order to prepare to take things home with you. I did not buy a lot of things, but what you have to prepare to do is be willing to pay exorbitant amounts of money to mail them. Now, I did buy a rug in Morocco that was supposed to be shipped and never showed up. So that was $100 lost. But I had bought these really nice boots that I quickly discovered I would never need, and I shipped those home. I'm trying to remember what else I bought. I think I bought Christmas ornaments for my family, which, and occasionally I ship rolls of undeveloped film home, and I just ship mm -hmm. these things to my parents. But I'm not a big souvenir person anyway. I didn't buy a lot of stuff. Although in Thailand, I bought my mother a quilted bedspread top, which as I was cleaning out my parents' house as my father prepared to move, I discovered unused and took back. Mm. But I didn't buy a lot of stuff. But if you, you do buy stuff, you're just going to have to pay a lot of money and mail it home because you can't carry it around. Yeah, that makes sense. Were you living with your parents at the time that you went on this trip? Oh, no. I, had, I left my parents' house when I was 18. Okay. So did you have your own home? And what did yes. you do to take care I actually, of it while you were I owned, a I owned a house in Hollywood, Florida. So I put all my, looking back, I'm not sure I would have done it quite the same way, but I put all my stuff in storage and I rented the house unfurnished for a year hmm. to someone who said basically, to, to whom I said, I want, you know, I'll need the house back in a year. And he said, that's fine. We only need the house for a year. In retrospect, I probably would have rented the house furnished with my stuff in it. I didn't think of that at the time. And so what do you think of some of the things now like Airbnb and BBRO and HomeAway and all of those kinds of sharing, you know, and Uber and Lyft, all of those kind of sharing economy things? Do you think that that adds to the travel experience? I think that it can. And I will say that I have never used Airbnb because every time I have looked, the price is higher than the price of a hotel where I'm going. But I think if you look at shared, you know, shared bedrooms, shared houses, I did stay in people's houses through versions of, you know, what we call Airbnb now that were arranged by tourist offices. And I did occasionally rent a room from someone because you go, you could go to the tourist office and ask for help in finding a cheap room and they might find you a cheap hotel or in some countries they found you a room in somebody's house. 
I mean, with Airbnb and VBRO and all that, you can plan a little farther in advance than I did if you know when you're going places, or you can plan from the road. But if I were doing it now with those things, I would look for opportunities in which I could meet people. Whereas if I look at Airbnb now, I look for places where I can rent the whole place and and not share. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what were some of the lessons that you learned from traveling around the world that kind of have enriched your life over time? I mean, what are some of the, you know, I mean, we've talked about going for cheap, but what are some of the kind of intrinsic benefits, those less tangible benefits that you get when you do something like travel around the world? Well, when I first went to work for the Miami Herald in the Miami office, I had been a local news editor mostly, and I needed a different job within the Herald. And they said, what about national and international? I said, well, I'll do national, but I don't want to do international. and I'm not interested in international news. And it actually was the same department. So I was working on the national portion of it, but I'm sitting next to the international portion and I'm talking to the correspondents on the phone when no one else answers. And I'm getting interested in what they're doing and what's going on in the world. And so taking the trip around the world really opened my eyes to the world. It let me see what the United States looked like from another perspective. And it didn't always look very good. It let me see how other people lived and how they did things different ways. By seeing places in the world, it kind of encouraged my interest in those places. And so when I came back from this trip, I actually left a job and came back to exactly the same job because they had been forced to keep it open for 11 months. And when they had permission to fill it, they called and said, you want this job back? And I took it. But I gradually segued from being mostly national news to being mostly international news. And I edited international news at the Herald and then also at the LA Times for another about six or seven years. You know, once I had traveled, I wanted to travel more. And I took a lot more international trips on, you know, on my vacations after this one. And then the long-term lesson of this, it took me a long time to figure out what I had learned from this trip beyond an interest in the world. Because I left a job that I was not super happy with. I came back to exactly the same job, which I kept for a number of years more. I thought I was going that this was going to make me a glamorous foreign I was going to become a foreign correspondent or a you know a freelancer and kind of bop around the world or write a book or something and I came back and then I was in my parents basement because I couldn't go back to my own house because I had rented it out so I did spend 6 weeks living in my parents basement and I kept trying to come up with something to write and I couldn't figure out what was the point what was the story of my trip around the world And I finally just gave up and went back to being an editor at the Miami Herald. And I wrote a couple of travel stories and never wrote anything else about it. And it wasn't until probably 25 years after this trip around the world that I realized that the point really wasn't what I'd done or where I'd gone, but that I'd been bold enough to do it. The fact that I was a person who could take a trip around the world by myself meant that I was a person who could quit my job and move to Los Angeles decide I didn't like Los Angeles and come back to Miami and be a freelancer, buy a house, come out and start a relationship in my mid-40s. It was the sort of doing things that were difficult and scary made it easier for me to do things that were difficult and scary in other facets of my life that at the time I didn't connect to, to the trip. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic lesson and it's a fantastic endeavor and it's absolutely worthwhile doing this. And you've certainly put you know, the idea in my head as to figuring out when I can take nine months away from something and do something similar. 
I love the idea of doing this and I would prefer to go with somebody. So that's probably one thing I would do, you know, and and get that experience uh, and share it with somebody. But if I had to do it alone, I probably would as well. And this it's definitely something that that I think is life altering in a way that you probably won't be able to get from any other experience. That's definitely true. The one advantage to going alone is that you meet more people. By the time I was halfway around the world, I was so lonely. I talked to anyone who spoke English or Spanish, and I'd make a pretty good stab at French or Italian, and I don't even speak Italian. Tell me about some of the friends that you've met and kept. You know, what kind of interesting characters did you meet on the road? Well, since we're talking about Italian, at one point I met a woman. Where did we meet? Uh, An Italian woman about my age, a single woman. I think we met in Spain. And she was also traveling alone. And even though I did not speak Italian and she did not speak English with my Spanish, Spanish and Italian are close enough that we could communicate some. And she talked a little bit about being a feminist in Italy in that time, about the fact that she had her own apartment and did not live with her parents, which was unusual for a, a single woman in Italy. And that was considered courageous. And we, you know, traveled together for three or four days and then we went our separate ways. In Australia and New Zealand, where I stayed in the hostels, it was really easy to meet people and sort of, you know, we like we went, I went on a group trip to Ayers Rock and Alice Springs, and, you know, we had picnics at the hostels and, and things like that. Then I met a Swedish archaeologist in Italy, and we traveled around for a while. And from her, I learned that I spoke more Italian than I realized, and I learned enough that I could now call from the train station to ask if they had a room rather than trudging up and down a bunch of hills with a backpack. And she talked a little bit about being, you know, being an archaeologist in Sweden and how she'd studied Italian on the radio. Even at 31, I was one of the oldest people in the Spanish school. Most of the people were university student age. And two of my roommates, Saskia from Holland and a woman from Sweden, were 19 years old. They both already spoke fluently their own language, English, which they had started in the fifth grade. German, which they had started in the eighth grade, French, which they took in high school, and now they were doing Spanish. They were taking a gap year before they started their university. Fantastic. It sounds like yeah, you certainly meet a diversity of people when you, when you travel. You wouldn't be exposed to that type of diversity uh, staying at home, that's for sure. So I think you know, that in itself makes the voyage worthwhile. Oh, definitely. You know, like a concentrated college all over again. Mm-hmm. I guess I was right. about 10 years out of college at that point. So it was a, a concentrated uh, dose of, of more education. Yeah. So any final tips for anyone who's been inspired by your voyage and would like to do the same today? Well, do it. Yeah, just do it. Um, you know, you think, you think that leaving your job for a year is going to be a big deal. And looking back, I spent 30 years working for newspapers. So one year out of 30 wasn't a big deal. It didn't hurt my career advancement. In fact, in the end, I think it helped it. It didn't, you know, just because I had a house didn't mean I couldn't rent it out for a while and then come back to it or sell it. I had just bought a car, you know, which I sold at a loss. But there are a lot of reasons not that you think you can't do this. But the truth is, if you've got something that you'd really like to do, whether it's a trip around the world or trying, trying something new, don't put it off. Do it, do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, fantastic. That's my well- advice. Why don't we end there? And if you could just let our audience know exactly where they can find you online. Ah, you can find me at uh, Living on the Cheap, livingonthecheap.com, which is our website 
about how you can live for less so you'll have more money to spend on travel or whatever other kind of adventure you'd like. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And join us next time for adulting.tv. We're on YouTube, adulting.tv live, or go to adulting.tv slash iTunes to subscribe to any of our podcasts. And if you have any questions, visit us at adulting.tv slash ask. And until next time, act like an adult. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.